get started, I have Rooster Brown on Conquering by Determination Inside Talks with Heather Fraley. And I just want to thank you first for taking time out and um, being on our podcast and just being open to this. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So um, take us back to your childhood. I know you were born in the Bronx and you guys moved to Carolina, the, the Carolinas. Was there a big difference in your growing up and the difference in the surroundings there? You know, my family um, started off in New York where my mom and dad met and got married. And we, I was about three years old when we moved to South Carolina. So I have very few memories of my life in New York. And all the memories that I do have are bits and pieces that have been pieced together by stories told by my family and pictures. So. I didn't really have real memories until my life in South Carolina. Okay. We we love we love South Carolina. It's a nice place. It's a family place. Yeah, Charleston is beautiful. That's awesome. So when did you when did you fall in love with playing basketball? Do you remember that moment? You know, I was never interested in the game. I was the tall girl that was chased by all the PE teachers to get you know, to get me to come and play their sport, but I never had an interest, an interest, and it came down to a time when my father passed away from cancer in my sophomore year in high school, and my family was looking for something for me to attach to to keep me, you know, I'd gone into a bit of a depression, I was extremely saddened by the case, and my father loved basketball, so that was the thing that I decided to do to have a better bond with him, even though he had gone on. And when I started playing, I was terrible. I was just tall. <laughs> I liked watching the game, but I didn't have the skill set yet. But I was athletic, so the more I worked on it, the better I got. And I remember specifically how when I was playing, my even my friends would be like, no, don't pass the ball, Alicia. <laughs> and even I would be like, no, don't pass the ball, Alicia. <laughs> but I would come in and work out in the mornings with my coach. I'd practice with my team. I'd stay after and work out even more. And, and the more time I put in, the better results I saw, and the more excited I was about, you know, who I was becoming on the court. And I remember we were playing against Danes Island, which was our county rival. And everybody, it was down like the last 30 seconds, and we were down one point, and all of my friends, everybody, I can hear in the stands saying, pass the ball to Russia. And this is just a year later. Oh, wow. And just having figured out that connection between hard work and the results just put me in a place where I absolutely loved that game because I had control of what it could look like for me. And, of course, I got the ball, and I, you know, made a move, and I shot, and we scored, and we won, and everybody went crazy. And that feeling I'll never forget. And it just encouraged me to work even harder every day from that point forward. That is all. I have chills right now. That may sound cheesy, but just hearing how you <laughs> said how you started just picking up the game was because your father had a love for it. And mm-hmm. how you heard the chanting, no, don't pass the ball to Rusha, to pass the ball to Rusha. That's incredible. That's yeah, it was, awesome. It's a huge transition. This, and like I said, the amount of work that went into it and being able to see what work ethic looks like and how the results will come from it was something that really impacted my life and even the way that I do things today. So that's probably when you realized that you were taking that next level step into, into the basketball realm. Absolutely, and, and the more I, I played and the more exposure I got, 
I understood the opportunity to be able to get a college scholarship because my mom couldn't afford to pay for school for me. My father passed away. I have two siblings. We, you know, we came from an underserved community. So it was just basketball became, it went from being my way to connect with my father to being my way to get a college degree. That is awesome. That is awesome. I bet you never thought that when you started it. You know, I honestly, I was thinking if I'm going to go to college, it's going to have to be through sports. I have to get a scholarship. So when I started playing, it was because, you know, my father loved the game, but I knew the underlying benefits that it could have for me if I was good. You're good. That's all. And put the time in that it needed to get there. Um, what would yeah, you say? I'm sorry. Yeah. What was one of your motivating factors that you would say helped push you through and that, those practices and working out when you when you know that your family or your friends probably had that day off and they were going to go do something and Risha was in the gym, Risha was on the court? You know, I had a greater goal, and I understood that I had to hold myself accountable for the things that I wanted and that if I wanted these things, my my life had to change. Like the decisions I made prior to playing this game had to be different if I wanted to be great, if I wanted to excel and get the opportunities that I had, you know, set for myself. And even when I speak today, I speak to young ladies and gentlemen about the fact that when you start and you set a goal for yourself, certain sacrifices will have to be made. You know, like, so there were times when my friends would be going to the beach and ask, could I go? And I'm like, no, nah, I got practice. I got a tournament. Like there were so many different things with my family that I missed but I was locked in on my goal and what it meant to me and what it was going to take to get there, but I understood the sacrifice necessary. Right, right. That's Yeah, that's true. Um, but do you, do you remember having a moment where you kind of touched on this a little bit, but where you were determined in your mind, like, I, I got to conquer that. Like, I have to – it was maybe a big feat or maybe you just felt like you had failed and failed and you – you're going to try one more time, but what what was that determining factor in your mind that you remember going up against that you you had to try one more time? There was no question. You know, I've um, I've always had great support from home, and one of the things I think that stood out not just in my life but in my career was when the WNBA started. I went to school at Furman University, which is a small school in South Carolina, not known for basketball, because once again, I was just trying to get the best education possible. And I had other great opportunities, but because I wanted to stay closer to home, I chose Furman, and I really enjoyed it. But when the WNBA started, I got no love. Like, I spoke to my agent. I've been playing overseas for three years, having a great career, and she kept telling me, well, people don't think you can play at this level. Um, we went to a small school, was not known for basketball. Despite all that I was doing in Europe at that time, I was the leading scorer in France, but nobody would give me a chance. So the first year of the WNBA, they allowed for each of the markets, each of the franchises to have an open tryout. And I believed I was good enough to play in this league. And so me and three of my girlfriends drove from Atlanta to Charlotte to the open tryout and you walk in and they're like 200 women trying out for two positions wow. on the team. Oh, wow. And still in my head, I'm like, I'm one of those two. You know, that was yeah. the mindset that I had. 
and I made it all the way down to the last cut, and then I got cut, and I was absolutely heartbroken because I'd never been cut from anything. I'd never actually felt like I wasn't good enough. And, you know, I went home to my mom, and I cried, and just I was just heartbroken, and she looked at me just completely like, what are you crying about? What's next? So it's like, so if you think you're good enough, what do you do? So that following weekend, my brother and I drove from Atlanta to Cleveland to try out again, same scenario, 200-plus women trying out. And, you know, just in my head, I just, I knew I had to do anything and everything to be a part of this franchise. And I had my brother there. He sat up at the top row in the um, in the gym at half court. And every time I got a little frustrated, I would look up at him, and he would give me, like, a nod of reassurance. But throughout that weekend, by the end of it, I was – chosen as one of the four, but instead of being on the team, I would be a practice player, which meant I could practice with the team, you know, all a the step extra closer. work. But yeah, it was a step closer, but by the time we finished training camp for three and a half weeks, the coach called me into her office and said, Rushi, you had a great training camp, and we want to add you to our regular roster. And, mm-hmm. you know, even after that, I ended up being a starter. So just the fact that I was, in my mind, shorted or short, you know, people didn't think I was good enough. That challenged me to work even harder to show them. I'm such a competitor, especially when I know I have a say-so in what the results look like. Mm-hmm. Like if there's something that somebody else is working on, well, I can't really <laughs> determine how that's going to come out. But my own work ethic, I know nobody's going to outwork me. So that No, no that one told you that you can't do it. No, absolutely not. And just the fact when they did, that was just something I would put in the back of my mind and use it for fuel and motivation to push me towards my goals. I was always, and still, even super competitive, especially when people tell me that I can't do anything. So I know that's one of the times that just kept me saying, okay, you got to keep working. you got to keep moving towards it. That is awesome. So it sounds like you have a close relationship with your brother. I do. I do have a close relationship with my brother. So we, um, we're four years apart. We have a sister that's two years in between. We're, we're close-knit as a family, period. So my support system has been incredible. So awesome. just three totally different personalities. I'm an athlete. My sister is in the military, and my brother's an artist. But we have all done very well and excelled in our respective skills, and it's, it's just been really good because we get a chance to support one another all the time. That is neat. That is awesome. Families. Family is where it's at, for sure. No, without a doubt. Yes. So can you compare kind of the support system that you had surrounding you as a child versus what you have now as an adult? It kind of sounds like, I mean, the family's always been there. So yeah. can you compare that feeling that you had or that surrounding? Yeah, not much has changed. Um, my family has definitely been the 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 foundation of my success as far as support. And I have some select friends that are in my circle that continue to challenge me and encourage me. But even here, I moved to Las Vegas in March to take this position with the Las Vegas Aces. And I'm a single mother. And I had a great situation in Atlanta where I never had to worry about my daughter. So picking up and moving my entire life to Vegas was a challenge for me. And as much as I wanted this opportunity, the only thing that made it possible was when my mom said she would move with me to Las Vegas because I couldn't risk putting my daughter in a position where she wasn't taken care of and just taking, plucking her up from, you know, her comfort zone and putting her in a position where she didn't have the things that she needed. I, that was the one thing that frightened me. So my mom said she would move with me. So 
that it makes everything easier. So it's just absolutely like everything that I do and I am is because she's been there to support me and give me the opportunity to pursue my dream. That is so awesome. I love that. I love that. So you played overseas. I know you mentioned a little bit about playing overseas. Um, do you have any experiences that differ from playing in the United States for the WNBA team versus playing over yeah. overseas? Um, playing overseas was really incredible for me. I, I had a chance to play 10 years in five different countries, and every country had its own experience. I think as the foreigner in those leagues, you're expected to do so many different things. And it's ironic that I would go to my team in France or Spain or Italy and Greece and be the star and then come back to the States and be a role player. So it did a lot for my uh, personal personal development as well as my mental development because I had to really understand, you know, play my position, understand what my role was. And, like, overseas I was challenged to do things that, you know, were a little bit outside of my comfort zone, which gave me a stronger – um, a stronger attitude and pursuit towards greatness. So it's just yeah. the style of play. It's a lot more physical, um, but it was a lot more testy as far as mentally because you're overseas and you're alone. You don't have your family with you. You have to build a new village between your team with Americans yeah. and the other Americans that may be in the country that you're playing in. So it really tested me and helped me to get myself in a better position mentally. I, gonna, I bet that could be a real mental challenge. It could happen very easily. And it's not for everyone. I've had people to come in in the same team that I played in and escape in the middle of the night because they couldn't take being away from home. They couldn't take wow. certain situations. So it's a different wow. mindset to be overseas. Yeah. Do you have any funny stories about the native language over there on anything that's happened? Um. Or you thought maybe you, know, you, were, you were saying something and it's like, oh, no, you didn't pronounce that right. You actually said this. It's funny. And you know what? The, um, the Europeans or the countries that I've played in have been extremely receptive because I was the type of American that was excited about being in another country. Therefore, mm-hmm. it put me in a position I wanted to learn. I wanted to understand their language. So so long as you were trying, they were receptive. Okay. Because so, what Google Google Translate wasn't out then, was it? Absolutely not. I went overseas <laughs> at a time when there were no computers. I was still writing letters. Okay. So okay. all of those things absolutely were not at your fingertips. <laughs> you were carrying around the book. <laughs> I had a Spanish dictionary, a couple of Spanish books, and, and another funny story. Um, because when I was born in the Bronx, my mother, my daycare. My first caregivers were Puerto Rican, and they spoke Spanish. And so Spanish became a language that I loved early on, and my mom literally had to take me and put me in another daycare because I spoke more Spanish than I did English, and she couldn't understand me. So when I got to super funny. She was like, I'm going to have to take my child somewhere else. I like y'all, but she can't speak English. (laughs) I can't speak her language. (laughs) Yeah, we couldn't communicate. And I, uh, so when I started going to school, I continued to speak Spanish. So I spoke Spanish fluently. And then when I went over, it was easy. I just had to learn the dialect. And as I moved to different countries, it was easier to pick up the Italian. 
the French and, you know, understand those languages. So the people were really receptive with me coming in and having a knowledge and putting forth the effort and not just being, you know, some people come over as staunch Americans. They think everybody's supposed to, you know, submit to them and cater to them. But that was never my approach. I wanted to blend into their culture, eat their food, speak their language, and be respectful. And that's always played a huge part for me. That is neat. That is awesome. So I have a question. I know you are you travel around helping young women um, and athletes. Do you mm-hmm. what is one thing that do you have a regret that something that you didn't do because of fear and that failure the whether it was from lack of confidence or just circumstances at the time where you didn't feel comfortable taking that leap at the time it was better to stay in that safe zone. Do you have anything that you regret or do you feel like you really gave it your, your all. I know I'm, I'm at fault of sometimes um, stepping back because I'm too scared to take that risk. You know, I think my biggest regret, and I won't say out of fear, but just out of frustration was when I retired. I retired at 30 and I could have possibly played another five to seven years, but I've spent seven years in which I've played year-round. You play WNBA during the summer, then you run back over to Europe and play. So I did that for seven years. I started to have injuries, and my body was breaking down. And instead of just taking a vacation, like taking some time for myself, I retired. And the part that I have regret with is because during the time that I retired, I'd just come off of winning five championships in France, which would have given my earnings potential would have raised my earnings potential a whole lot. But at that time, I was just so mentally tired that I just could not even focus on anything else. And I just, instead of taking a short break, I let everything go. And I think that's the one thing. But for the most part, when I live my life, I just think that, you know, you have wins and losses, well, wins and lessons. You learn Mm -hmm. something from everything that you, you don't get and had I done anything differently, I wouldn't be where I am today. I'm okay with my decision, but I really think like I undersold my career by retiring so so quick. Yeah, I like how you said that wins and lessons. and a lesson. Yes, mm-hmm. I like that. Like that. So yeah, it is important because um, a lot of us are guilty at just go 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 go, and we get burnt out, mm-hmm. or maybe not burnt out is a good word, but we get just overwhelmed and we're just we're just mm-hmm. tired. We're tired. Yep. And we don't take exactly the time that we need. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I've learned at this point also. I can't allow myself to be burnt out because I absolutely believe because balance is not, I don't think it actually exists, but you just got to put yourself in a position where you don't drop the ball, the same ball twice when you're juggling through life. So I want to make sure that I give myself time to recruit and to be a good mother and to be good partner, to be a good daughter, to be a great businesswoman, like all those things will have to, you know, I'll have to focus on them, but at the same time, some of them, I'm going to have to step back and let it rest them. Yes, I like how you said that. You don't think um, burnt out exists, and it, it's true, but some of us don't know how to take that approach of, no, it's, it's, you just need to take time for yourself. You need to step back and breathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I like that. So can you tell us a little bit about, are you still traveling around and speaking to the youth? That will always be something that I do. This last year in my move to Las Vegas, I kind of cut it down just a little bit because I was trying to get settled in my new environment. But I've definitely already kicked off 2019 with opportunities in which I'll be able to pour more into the youth 
that are here in Las Vegas, but I still will travel. I have opportunities, even at the end of this month, where I'll do something with the uh, Police Athletic League in New Jersey and go in and speak to a group of 250 youth. And it's always about encouraging them to understand their worth and their value and just what they bring to the table. That empowerment and character building and self-esteem is so important because we see our kids are faced with so many challenges today. They have access to so much, and their little brains are just not ready for some of the Mm -hmm. things they have access to. So preparing them in a way that they're guarded what they allow into their mental and their spiritual space is really important. That's very true, very true. And sometimes, too, um, when you were saying that they have access to so much, sometimes it's not knowing where that access is or where how mm-hmm. to get to that access Absolutely. can be. Mm-hmm. That can be a big, um, a big stumbling thing to even get started in something. Absolutely. And just making sure they have resources and not be afraid to ask the questions. So sometimes yes. our fear of being, being, you know, not so smart if we don't know the answer to something keeps us from the answer in itself. So I think it's really important that we so true. That, you know that resources are out there and that it's okay to ask for help. So true, so true. Because, I mean, you don't want to be the only one in the crowd raising your hand to ask a question because you're afraid what so-and-so beside you may think or I can't believe they, they didn't know that or ask that. And it, it can it can be um, intimidating sometimes. And absolutely, and you find yourself, you not wanting to ask the question, but half of the crowd may have the same question and be fearful of asking. Yes. So I always encourage that you know, no question is a dumb question. Make sure you ask, because this question may not be just for you. It can be for some of your peers that are in the audience that are could afraid be, as well. Yes, and it could help so many people. Well, congratulations on what, last March, so almost a year ago, that you joined the yep. Las Vegas Aces. That is awesome. Yep. Congratulations. Congratulations. Well, um, before we sign off, we're kind of getting to the end of it, and I appreciate your time. I want to be respectful of that. Do you have, want to share one or two pieces of advice that you could give to an aspiring athlete or community leader that may be stuck in their own head feeling like they're hitting a wall or they don't know what to do next? You know, I find it challenging even today. Um, to stay encouraged. And one of the things that I stay locked in on is understanding what my passion is. And I've stayed in a space where everything that I do is that thing that I love. Because so many people get caught up in, well, i got to make this money. It's got to be about this. And they end up in careers that they may not particularly like, but then you're still unfulfilled. And since retiring, I have disavowed myself that I would do the things that mean most to me. And the money will come. And as I said, my passion is the thing that drives me. And I would encourage anyone that's in a space to do something productive because we all have different gifts and talents and abilities. But figure Mm -hmm. out what you can bring to this world and pursue it and let that be your passion. And passion for me is an acronym where, you know, each letter has a different word that goes with it. So perseverance means that you got to learn how to stay locked in no matter what. If you get knocked off track, you got to figure out how to get back on and continue to pursue your dreams. Your A is your attitude. Understand that people do business with people that they know and they like. And having a personality in which you are the person that people want to support will serve you. And it it makes all the difference in the world because you set up the way that people treat you based on the way that you carry yourself. And understanding that, you know, from the time you walk through a door makes a huge difference. Your Mm -hmm. first act of sacrifice, understanding that, um, you know, you got to make some decisions. 
the difference between what I want to do and what I need to do is going to play a huge part when you can make those assessments and then make decisions based on it. You'll be able to pursue the things that you want because either life is going to pull you closer to what you want or away from it based on your decision. So your perseverance, attitude, sacrifice, your second S, setting goals, just being really visual. I'm really visual about the things that I want to do for myself, and it becomes a plan when you write it down. When you put pens to paper and say the things that you want, hold yourself accountable, have somebody in your life that does the same thing. So understand that you got to set goals. Put those steps in place in order to, you know, achieve the things that you want. Your eye is your inner strength. Believing in yourself even when nobody else does. Because there'll be so many things and so many times that people will come to you and think your ideas don't make sense. Mm-hmm. But for me, if God has given me a vision or a plan, it's just up to me to be faithful and do the work. And I can't expect for anybody else to support me or anybody else to do the work. Yeah, because that's that your goal. Yes, your vision. It's mine. God didn't give it you to them. See it. He didn't give exactly. it to you. So there's exactly. no way that I can expect for you to support it. So that's your inner strength. You're always your optimism, just understanding that your mindset controls your words and your actions. The conversations that we have with ourselves daily matter. Um, even when something negative happens in our life, we've got to figure out a way to find and pull something positive from it so that we don't get trapped in the negativity of it. Because, you know, what you feed is going to grow. So if you keep speaking negativity, that's the thing that continues to grow. But... Of the same accord, if you speak positivity, that grows as well. And it's just as easy to have a positive mindset as it is to have a negative one. So I encourage that highly. And then your end is never given up. You, know, you just cannot quit on yourself. You cannot quit. Because whatever your gift to this world is supposed to be, it's not just about you. It's about all the people that you're supposed to serve. It's about the difference you're supposed to make. And it's about the way that you're supposed to be a catalyst for whatever it is you know, that God has put in you. So it's perseverance, attitude, sacrifice, setting goals, inner strength, optimism, and never giving up. And I, for me, that works across the board, be it my personal life, mm-hmm. my spiritual life, my professional life, my relationships, just everything. When I have that mindset, it really helps me to stay focused. It, yeah, I, I'm thinking of all these things that just came flooding to me when you hit the inner strength and the setting goals. Mm-hmm. Like just those two things right there can bring up so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. You don't know how much I appreciate this. I'm so excited yeah. to have you on. Well, it was my pleasure, and thank you so much for your work, and congratulations, and good luck to you. Thank you. You have a blessed day, Risha. Awesome. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.